0: church, and happy Memorial Day weekend to you as we celebrate and remember uh, those who've given their lives so that we could have the freedoms that we have. What a blessing, and thank you. I know in our church there are many veterans that served, and uh, maybe you uh, have a loved one that gave their lives uh, for the freedom of our country, and uh, that is something that we can all be thankful for. Amen. I know I was on the plane last night coming home. And uh, I was sitting by a couple of Navy veterans and they had taken this as their first opportunity to go out to Hawaii and to visit Pearl Harbor. And they were just, you could just tell, they were just so moved uh, with emotion uh, thinking about those that gave their lives. And I don't know if you've ever been there, if you've never had a chance to do that, it'd be a bucket list item for sure. Uh, I didn't care much about Hawaii like as a whole But man, the Pearl Harbor uh, Memorial is one of the most moving places you will ever see in your life. And uh, they, somebody mentioned, I think on on the news this weekend, that there have been over a million soldiers give their lives for our freedom. Isn't that extraordinary? A million men and women uh, have died so that we can worship like this today. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. Uh, We had a couple of losses this week in our church. Uh, Brother Bill Shaw went home to be with the Lord this week. His funeral is Tuesday uh, at 2 o'clock over on the west side uh, of Jacksonville. If some of you knew Brother Bill, I know many of you that are new would not know Brother Bill because during COVID he was gone uh, most of the time and then of course uh, got sick here recently, but he was a faithful uh, man, faithful member of our church, one of the original members of the church when I came here and uh, just just loved him. And you know, I, I got to... Uh, me and Brother Greg got to see him uh, just before he passed away, and I walked out of there, Brother Greg, and I I just, in my heart, was just saying, Lord, just be merciful. Uh, He was in a bad, bad place, and you know, sometimes, um, what a blessing to think through and know that through Christ, ultimately, all suffering ends, amen? And he's in a so much better place, obviously. And uh, if you need information regarding the funeral, you can see myself or Brother Greg. It's, again, 2 o'clock Tuesday afternoon on the west side over on Normandy Boulevard. And the name of the place is slipping my mind, but you can see Brother Greg or myself after the service. And then uh, let's be praying also for uh, Brother Doug. His younger brother, Jimmy, went home to be with the Lord this week as well. Praying for you, Doug. Sorry to hear about your loss. And uh, Doug's a a wonderful man here at our church. And uh, let's pray for him as well as his brother uh, has gone on as well. And so, let's go ahead and pray for them as you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter number 12. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to uh, come together here at River City Baptist Church on this weekend. And to, first of all, remember uh, you and worship you in spirit and in truth and hear your word preached. And also, as a country, uh, whether you go to church or not, We can be thankful in remembering those who gave their lives for our freedom. I thank you that we live in this country, and I thank you that we have the privilege of a free assembly, freedom of speech, freedom to bear arms, freedom of the press, the freedoms of our religion, those have been protected by brave men and women that have given their lives for us. Lord, help us not to quickly forget the freedoms that we have or take them for granted. Lord, we pray, uh, even for our country with this school shooting this week, that, Lord, we would be ever mindful of how grave it is when God is absent from the hearts of men. And Lord, may we not be so naive to think that the solution is in legislation, but it is in the gospel. Lord, I pray for Bill's family, I pray for Doug and his family, for their losses this week. Thank you for Jesus and for the hope of eternal life. Bless this sermon, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I don't normally say stuff about things like political things, I don't, uh, I've often thought that it was not necessarily my place to talk about things, but I wanted to say something this morning about uh, the school shooting and, and the response of our country that's lost its mind. Um, when a senator like Ted Cruz can say something to the nation like, let's pray for you, Valdi, and a response from another representative is, is to curse God and to curse prayer, I think somebody needs to remind those of us that say that we know Christ as Savior. That it actually matters who represents us in our government. It does. And I, I'm, I'm not here, I'm not here on a rant. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not ever gonna tell you who to vote for, but I can tell you this much. If you vote for people that hate God, they hate children, they hate life, then you're voting for the wrong kind of people. And nothing should be any more evident to you than this week. And, and, and look, I'm for protecting kids. And, and think about this. You know, when, when we're in this debate about guns, and I know some of you, this is going to be the end of, end of me with you, but that's okay. Um, we have the right to bear arms, we, we do. And just think, just think if one person trained would have been in that school to shoot that madman, there could have been a lot that could have been avoided. Here's what you need to understand about guns and stuff. You will never control somebody. It's like putting a sign up in front of a school that says you cannot enter in here with a gun. Well, who listens to that rule? People like me. People like me and you that that respect authority and respect the law, right? Somebody say amen. Somebody better help me up here. That's who listens to things like that. Uh, the guy that killed all these precious children, the, the sign didn't matter. The sign didn't matter. And, and the point is that you will never legislate somebody's heart. You can't do it. How much more important, how much more important that we spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because only through the changing of someone's heart will things like this ever stop. And 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 listen... Uh, you ought to be very concerned when people want to take away the rights of people that actually respect and obey authority. That's a problem. And, uh, and that's enough of my rant about the situation, okay? But God help those families. And if you are not just so devastated. That 19 children my son's age went to school and never came home, my soul. God help us, God help us. And our response ought to be brokenness, our response ought to be give the gospel, our response ought to be pray, our response ought not be entering into hostility and foolish discussions and debates. but somebody needs to remind the church that, that what you promote and what you vote for actually matters. And I boy, I sure hope that we would prefer an angry tweet every once in a while. Let's take a look at the Bible now. In Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Thank you for allowing me to do that, not that you had a choice. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Then he spoke a parable to them. Excuse me, I skipped a part. And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life... ...does not consist in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Since I have no room to store my crops. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Amen. Amen. I want to preach to you this morning on this subject, the cancer of covetousness. The cancer of covetousness. Over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at a series of sermons on things that were lost and things that were found. And the first thing we find in this series is there was a lost soul, a confused man, a man that actually thought that the things that mattered in life were things. How many of you understand that the things that matter most in life are not things at all? 1800s, the Russian author Leo Tolstoy wrote a political piece that was a short story. I'd never heard of it until I began the research for this message. The title of this short story was, How Much Land Does a Man Need? It was actually a political statement against the wealthy and the overtaking of uh, land and possessions by a totalitarian-type government. And so he told this story to speak to the issue. In summary, he wrote a story about a peasant farmer who was never satisfied with what he had. One day, he received a novel and amazing opportunity. For $1,000, this man could buy a piece of land from a group of people, and what he could get for $1,000 was as much land as he could walk off its perimeter in one day. The rule was that he had to mark off the plot at every turn by digging a hole, clearly marking his boundaries. And the second rule was that he had to be back to the place he started before sunset. And before he took off, the night before, he began to make his plans, thinking to himself, how. How far could I go in one day? In his mind, he thought, surely I can go 32 miles. And he began to think through and plot out this journey. And he started off in a very rigorous pace and got to his first marking and dug his hole and turned back to the north and began to journey real quickly there. However, after about half a day, he began to be more tired than he thought. And so he began to slow down only finding himself to become dangerously close to sunset, realizing that he had become further away from the finish line that he had anticipated, he picked up his pace even more. He ran more quick, quickly. He could see the side of the finish line, and he began to run even faster, gasping for breath, his heart pounding. He called forth every bit of strength, that he had in his body, and believe it or not, he staggered across the finish line just before the sun dropped over the horizon, and five minutes later, he fell over dead. And the men that were going to sell him the land dug a hole. It was about six foot by three foot. And they dropped him in the hole, and they stood back and said, how much land does a man need? Roughly six feet. Roughly six feet. Many people live their lives in a rush, in a race, trying to accumulate as much as they can possibly accumulate for themselves. The story of this text is a story about coveting things. And I want to say before we get started, there is nothing wrong with money. Money is a great tool, but it is a terrible master. While there's nothing wrong with money, there is something wrong with money having you. There's nothing wrong with money, but there's something wrong with loving money and pursuing it at the cost of everything else in your life. There's nothing wrong with money, but there is something wrong with laboring to be rich for yourself. Well, there's a lot of good that can be done with money. There's a lot of help that can be given through money, but isn't it interesting when this man realized all the wealth that he had, there was never a thought for what he could do for his community or what he could do for those around him. He only thought, wow, look at what I've done for myself. There's nothing wrong with having money, but there's something wrong with having money and not sharing money. Some of the people in our government, as an example, that call for the greatest amount of taxation of giving to people that don't have are the very same people that although they have millions and millions and millions of dollars, give very little of their own resources to those in need through charity. You know what covetous actually is? Covetousness in the Bible is an insatiable desire for something. Particularly something that belongs to someone else. Or to say it a little bit more plainly, uh, uh, covetousness is the itch for more. It's the opposite of satisfaction and contentment. It is when my life is never satisfied with what it actually has. By the way, with what God has given to me. And therefore, always finds itself on an endless pursuit to have more, to earn more, to store more, and to accomplish more. By the way, did you know that covetousness is the last of the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not covet. Interestingly enough, of all the Ten Commandments, every one of them related to man is something you can physically do. You shall not steal, you shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, and so on and so forth. You shouldn't lie. Those four in particular are things that you do. But then the last one is this. You shall not covet. Isn't that interesting? Coveting is not something that you see. Coveting is not something that I could look at and define clearly. Therefore, God is not only interested in what we do with our hands, but he's also interested in what's going on inside of our hearts. And you see, covetousness is like a cancer. Once it gets in your heart, it will destroy and devastate everything around you and ruin your own soul. And so, from this text today, we're going to learn the three ways in which the cancer of covetousness destroys every person it affects. Number one, I want you to see that covetousness creates division in relationships, it creates division in relationships. Notice, if you will, in our text, look at this as a, a, an amazing thing in verse number 13. I don't know about you, but I, my Bible, the Bible that I use to preach from, uh, is what they call a red letter edition of the Bible. How many of you have one of those? How many of you got? okay. All that means, if you don't have one, is simply this. That the words of Jesus, the actual words that Jesus spoke, are typed out in red. Now, if you've got one of those in your lap, you might want to just kind of flip around a little bit in Luke chapter 11 and Luke chapter number 12. And here's what you're going to see. You're going to see there's a whole lot of red in these few chapters, okay? This is Luke's account of some of the teaching of Jesus all lumped together in one. When you get to chapter number 12, at the beginning of the chapter, the Bible tells us there's a huge multitude of people that are following Jesus. And they're they're actually harming one another. They're trampling all over each other. This is a crazy scene. I mean, it's like, you can just maybe imagine a, a Vice Star Arena just packed with people, listening to their favorite teacher or, or musician, just, 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 just uh, absolutely glued on the main stage, which is the Lord Jesus teaching all these thousands of people that he's listening to. Now, look at verse number 13. Then one from the crowd said, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Can you imagine, just like last week, the audacity of Martha to tell Jesus to do something? And now you got this guy doing the same thing. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Jesus preaching, the Son of God talking? He's preaching, He's sharing all these amazing truths, and then a guy speaks up out of the crowd, evidently completely oblivious to everything that the Lord says. And instead of worrying about his own soul, instead of worrying about his own relationship with God, oh, he speaks up as Jesus takes a breath in his sermon. And he says, teacher, if you, uh, please, uh, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go talk to my brother and make sure my brother divides the inheritance among us appropriately. And Jesus responds and says, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over your business? Teachers were expected by some to render judgments based on rabbinical laws in certain disputes. But here, listen, there was absolutely no dispute to be had. And when you read the book of Leviticus, chapter 20, or excuse me, Deuteronomy, chapter number 21, the Bible makes it very, very plain that when a man's inheritance, when a man died, his inheritance was to be divided appropriately among his sons. The older boy was to receive a double portion of the inheritance, and the younger children were to receive the remaining part of the inheritance. And so, in other words, it's crystal clear. God had already told these people this is how inheritances are supposed to be divided. Now, I assume the guy who speaks up in verse number 13 is probably a younger brother, because if you were a younger brother in a family like this, you probably would have felt cheated a little bit. Why is this fair? How is this fair... That my older brother got this much money and my younger brother gets this much money. I don't know the answer to that question. Maybe the older son bore more responsibility and had to, had to take care of the family business. And there were certain responsibilities that were attached to that. I don't really exactly know why God set it up that way. But the truth of the matter is God had set it up. Can you imagine being so greedy and so interested in money? That you would actually interrupt a sermon, particularly a sermon of Jesus, to ask for help with money. You know, the Bible talks about this throughout its pages. One particular place that it talks about is in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Where the Bible talks about that sad to say sometimes Christians go to court and sue one another uh, over disputes. Particularly over material things. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number, uh, verse number 7, it says, Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you to go to law with another brother. Boy, that's pretty strong language here. Hey, before the judge even issues the answer, when Christians sue each other over financial things, you've already lost because you've aired out laundry in front of secular people that you should have been able to solve on your own. But then he says this, I love this, should you not rather accept the wrong or should you not rather allow yourself to be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat and you do these things to your brothers. You want to know what the Bible's teaching us here? People are more important than things. Relationships are more important than money. And that $5,000 that a person may have cheated on you or or a brother didn't cut things exactly right in a will or an executor of a state didn't follow the wishes exactly or whatever thing may have been, I have met people, and you've met them too, that have literally allowed their families to be destroyed and devastated and ruined, and families have been torn apart. Why? Because people love money more than they love their neighbor. By the way, there's two sides to this coin. First of all, if you cheat somebody, that's wrong. Secondly, if you're more concerned about money than you are people, that's also wrong. Good night. Do we not have enough sense to understand that money is temporal in relationships and people last forever? But that's not where we are today, is it? We have people that destroy their marriages, they ruin their relationships with their parents. They defraud their co-workers and they do it all for the love of money. It is the root of all kinds of evil. Maybe you've heard the sad story of Brooke Astor. I never heard this story until recently but she lived what would be one of the most coveted lives in America. She became the benefactor of the Astor family fortune. Her husband passed away and left her an estate that valued $200 million. She became known as one of the greatest philanthropic uh, people in New York City. Yet she had a son. A son who tried throughout his older years to defraud and rob his mother by selling her beloved paintings and pocketing money and uh, arranging uh, uh uh and approaching some of her wealthy friends and 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 doing business that she did not authorize and and when she died at age i think it was 102 her older son her son that did this to her was prosecuted at age 85 for harming the estate of his mother and for defrauding his mother can you imagine this and first of all can you imagine how wealthy this guy was going to be anyways I mean, if you're 80 years old or you've lived all these years in the lap of luxury because your mother has $200 million, you know what that tells me about people? Enough will never be enough for people when covetousness is in their heart. It doesn't matter if it's a million dollars. It doesn't matter if it's a billion dollars. If your heart is eaten up with money and with stuff, I will tell you this, it will never be enough for you. You will always climb over people. You will always harm relationships. You will always do wrong in order to do something for yourself and I gotta tell you today friend that is no way for a child of God to live covetousness destroys relationships number two covetousness creates misguided priorities (laughs) misguided priorities Americans have messed up priorities we have first world problems people I mean here we are Building right beside my house, yet another self-storage unit. It's like a multi-billion dollar a year industry. Is this the craziest thing in the universe? I have a house, but my house is not near enough to hold all my stuff, so I'm actually going to go to a storage unit so I can hold more stuff that evidently I don't use very often or otherwise it would probably be in my house being used, This is the society that we live in. We live in a society of people that hoard and hoard and hoard and hoard for themselves. This rich man, or this wanting to be, desiring to be rich man, was making some critical mistakes. He was an expert, listen to this, he was an expert at tending to the soil. But he was a failure at tending to his soul. Everything about this man revolved around himself. Do you realize that the personal pronouns, I and my, which occur in just a few verses between verse 16 and 21, I and my are used 12 times in those few verses. Ron Hamilton or Patch the Pirate, uh, as he was known, uh, wrote all these beautiful and fun music things for kids over the years and and I mean, my wife grew up on them when she was a kid, and, 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 uh, and, and they, they were very creative. In fact, I think they're more creative for adults than kids, because I think the adults kind of get the storylines and all that. And I don't remember which particular one it was, but, but there was a song in one of the Patch of the CDs called Me, Me, Me. And I, my favorite line in the song is this, I've got a PhD in me, me, me. And I think a lot of people have that. I think a lot of people have graduate degrees in self, self self-care, self-preservation, self-love. But here's the problem. The problem with this kind of lifestyle is that it is a misguided priority. And Jesus makes this very clear in verse number 15. Here's the basic thing Jesus says. Jesus says, beware of covetousness. In other words, you need to be warned about this because it's not easy to see. And here's what you need to remember. It's very simple. A man's life does not consist of the abundance of things which he possesses. Or maybe I could say it like this. It doesn't matter what you have, it matters who you have. Folks, I'm here to tell you, I think we could take any endless amount of stories from professional athletes or from Hollywood superstars, and we could, we could certainly make this case to be clear, and that is simply this. Things never satisfy people. Ultimately, covetousness leaves you empty because money cannot satisfy you. Obviously, this guy had everything that he ever needed, but he still wanted bigger, he wanted more, and he wanted faster. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10 says this, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Not only does money leave you empty, secondly, money never lasts. 1 Timothy chapter 6, now godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. Think about that. You brought nothing into this world, and you are taking nothing out when you go. Or like Job said, naked I came into this world from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return to it. (laughs) Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into snares and temptations and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Proverbs 23 verse 4. Do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. Stop! Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings and they fly away toward heaven. What is the story of this guy? The story of this guy is clear. He spent all of his life focused on stuff, focused on money, building his retirement accounts, and he never even lived long enough to enjoy it. What a sad way to live. This is why men burn through their marriages and burn through their relationships with their kids, trying to make money. Friend, I tell you what, you'd be better off to live on less and invest more in relationships and actually enjoy what God has given you rather than wasting your life trying to pursue something that you don't have. You want to know what the biggest problem with covetousness is as far as misguided priorities? It leads you to Thanklessness. The opposite of covetousness, as I mentioned, is contentment. What is contentment? Contentment is I'm happy with what I have. Hey, how about this? You've got everything you need if you're happy with what you have. And yet covetousness will rob you. This guy says, look, I've got to, i am got all this stuff and I could have given it away. I could have invested others, but that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to store it up for myself. I'm going to build bigger houses for myself. I'm going to build bigger storage units for myself so that I can have more stuff. And he couldn't even enjoy the very things that God had blessed him with. And by the way, uh, God blessed this man. I don't care if you're the best farmer in the universe. You need water and you need sun and that comes from God and you say well I'll have you know I've got all kinds of degrees and I'll have you know I do too but I got enough sense friend to tell you this much that I know God gave me the brain inside my skull to be able to do such things I'm not that naive to think. I'm just smart. Are you kidding me? I could have woke up this morning without enough sense to even crawl. Somebody help me up here. I could have rolled out of bed this morning without enough sense to even be able to put a sentence together. Oh, by the way, I didn't even have to roll out of bed this morning because the fact of the matter is it's only the grace of God that allowed me to roll out of bed and stand on my own two feet and stand up here with energy to preach the word of God. I've had friends over the last few years they can't even stand and preach anymore because their health is declining. For one reason or the other. And listen, I would be a sad person if I thought that this was all because I was smart or I could speak for it. I ought to just be thankful for what God has given me. And yet, some of you are missing out on life because all you ever do is covet what everybody else has and does. You can't even enjoy your kids. Because all you ever think about is other people have kids who obey or are better athletes or are better students. You can't even enjoy the house God gave you because somebody in your neighborhood has a nicer one than you. You can't even enjoy the car you drive because you can't keep your eyes off the car that you don't drive. Is everybody still here? You can't even enjoy your work because somebody else got promoted past you, and the same job that three weeks ago you actually liked, you all of a sudden don't like it anymore. That's like Angie. Uh, she used to. We used to love this restaurant. That was a. That was a bad way to. That was a bad way to say that, wasn't it? <laughs> Angie. Angie and I. This is a serious illustration. We used to go when we were traveling. We had this little. We had this little restaurant that we. We always went to before. Uh, uh, when we were traveling, and there were several places, there was one in Houston. It was called Benny Hana, okay. And some of you have been there. It's 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 just one of those, uh, you know, where they cook food in front of you. And the truth of the matter is, there's like a billion of them all over the world, okay. I mean, it's not like Benny is unique. It just it just happens to be the most expensive one around, okay. So we used to go to Benny Hana, and Angie loved it. She loved it until we were living in Anderson South Carolina and there was a little one a little japanese steakhouse right beside of our church called Osaka and Osaka was the exact same thing, the exact same thing with one exception. Osaka had this special white sauce. Oh, Lord, help us all. You all know what I'm talking about if you've been there. I think they call it shrimp sauce or white sauce. I don't know. It's magic, okay? It's magic. I don't even order food. I just drink the bowl, okay? So, but th- th- this is amazing. And, and, then, and, then, and then, but Benihana doesn't have that. Benihana has like a mustard sauce and a, and a ginger sauce. And then we go back to a city after going to Osaka and Benihana was there. And I'd be like, Angie, Angie, let's go to Benihana. And she'd go, I don't like Benihana anymore. <laughs> what? How do you not like something you liked before? The sauce. Yeah, but I mean, you liked it before. Yeah, but when you taste something in your mind better, all of a sudden you don't like what you have. And that's where we live. I mean, think about, think about the absolute luxury that that we live in. You say you ever been to my apartment? Probably not. You ever been to Haiti? You ever been to El Salvador? You say, well, I can't afford to go to, yeah, I can't even afford, I can't afford to go to Benihana or Osaka or whatever aka thing there is. I can't afford any of them. That's fine. You probably never climb through trash to get your food. I've seen people do that. We can covet the ability of others to eat at nicer restaurants or go on vacations that we can't go on, and so we get upset and can't even enjoy the fact that we live with free vacation all around us because we live in Florida. Somebody say amen. You can go to the beach for free. Did you know that? For free. You can actually go out there and pay nothing. And yet people will not ever be content with that, so they'll, they'll drive four hours down and spend $10,000 that they don't have. Worse yet, not just coveting the fact that they can't do what they think other people do but even worse through covetousness will actually work themselves into debt you need a reality check friend you need to wake up and realize this thing's eating you up and you don't even know it cancer it's cancer a ship should be in the water But water should not be in the ship. Same thing's true with things. You should have them, but they shouldn't have you. And the entire time, we're not thankful for our kids, our homes, our cars, our food, our health, or even our jobs. Why? Because our priorities are wrong. And then finally, I want you to see this. Listen very carefully. Covetousness also eclipses an eternal perspective. The real problem with covetousness has nothing to do with dollars and cents and, and storage units and nice restaurants. The real problem with covetousness is that through covetousness, you fail to prepare for eternity. Watch it. Build bigger barns. Get nicer stuff. Set back and say, soul, enjoy yourself. You've got enough food. And enough stuff for years and years and years and years and years. My 401k will set me without work for 30 years. That's awesome if you live 30 years. But the problem is, while he was talking to his soul, talking to himself, he didn't realize God had something to say. And God showed up and said, you are a fool. You're a fool for thinking like that. You want to know why? This night your soul shall be required of you. If you're covetousness, you may not be thinking about some things that should be pretty obvious to you like this. Life is short. What is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanisheth away, boast not yourself of tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Do I need to remind everybody in this room that every day you live is on borrowed time because there's only one person that gives you the breath in your lungs to suck air and oxygen out of the sky, and that's God. And when God decides that that's it, that's it, and there's no amount of health food and juicing and tree bark and vitamins that you can take to stop it. Here You're spending all this time, all this stuff, all this waste. Friend, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but the fact of the matter is you may not even make it home today. You think those 19 precious kids and two teachers would have ever had it anywhere in their peripheral that that was going to be the last day of school? Ever? You have no idea. So don't live like a fool thinking that you've got forever. One day you're going to die. One day you're going to face eternity. You need to understand the limitation of your resources. Look at what Jesus says at the last verse, verse number 20. At the end of the verse, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Watch this. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? Oh, that stinks. Stinks to be you storing up all that wealth and then giving it to all your bratty kids. How many people have been ruined by this kind of thing? I would highly recommend you read the book, The Ultimate Gift. It is a fantastic book about a very wealthy man that left his inheritance out to multiple people. But one of his nephews, he decided to only give him his inheritance based on the condition of learning basically how to not be a brat. (laughs) How to work. How to save. How to care for others. It's fascinating. I highly recommend you read it. But it illustrates so much of what happens in our culture. We spend all this time for ourselves and then we accumulate all this stuff. And then some people are so naive to not think about anything else. Listen to me be really carefully here. To think about nothing else other than I'm just going to automatically give it to my children. Can I advise you? That may be a gigantic mistake. Go ahead and take a breath. If you need an oxygen tank, go ahead and get it. You think for a second that I'm going to automatically give my kids all my stuff just because? (laughs) No. Oh, no. If they're crazy, I ain't going to give them nothing. Nothing. You think I'm going to give it to somebody that's going to smoke it away or drink it away? Come on. Or waste it away? There are some older folks in this room. You may want to actually rethink what you're doing with your stuff. Has it ever occurred to you like the old saying says? Do your giving while you're living so you be knowing where it's going? Over my dead body will I give what I worked for to a bunch of people that are going to waste it away. I'd rather give it to Jesus. That's what he's talking about. Who's going to even spend If you're not caring for your own soul and you're not thinking about eternity and then you're going to leave behind this gigantic inheritance that you're not even going to have time to spend, who's going to spend it? And you need to understand the importance of your soul. Friend, all i got to say to you is this. There's only one life and it will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. Friend, I'm here to tell you, if you are here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, listen to me very carefully. I don't care what you have. I don't care how much you have. It is all going to be gone one day. But only those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior will live forever and enjoy the real inheritance. So if you're here today and you have no idea, man, if I die, I don't know where I'm going to spend eternity, would you let us help you with that today? It would be super unwise for you to leave this building and go on doing whatever you were doing before you walked in here if you don't even know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. What a gigantic mistake. Today, you can open up your heart like the front door of your house and you can welcome Jesus to be your Savior. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through him. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should never perish but have everlasting life. All of sin that comes short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God commended his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us here in his love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. He sent his son to be a payment for our sins. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You can do that today friend You can do that right here and right now Friend I hope that if you've never accepted Christ Today would be the day of your salvation For you do not know what will happen tomorrow But friend if you're here and you're a Christian You may need a cancer checkup this morning Do you have the cancer of covetousness? Friend I want to tell you this right now If you went to the doctor today And found out you had real cancer That would not be half as bad is if you've got the cancer of covetousness. Because it will destroy your soul. Let's pray together.